Hello, sexies. Welcome to Sisters of Sexuality, Five Shades of Play. Today's episode is sponsored by OrganicLovin.com. Organic Lovin', for the bodies you love to love. How do people describe you? Are you curious, playful, maybe sensual, adventurous? How about open-minded? The truth is, no matter who you are, Organic Lovin' has something to indulge your fantasies. We offer only organic, natural, and eco-friendly intimate body products, including vegan condoms, organic lubricants, body-safe sex toys, and sex-positive books. You won't find anything harmful in our products or toys. We also have a full range of other experiences, including erotic seminars and exotic adult-only vacations. Receive our adult subscription box for a monthly sexual delight. Be educated, entertained, and informed. Organic Lovin'. For her, for him, for you. For the bodies you love to love. Visit OrganicLovin.com. We offer shipping worldwide, so stop by the site anytime. Organic Lovin'. That's L-O-V-E-N.com. Hello, sexies. You are listening to Sisters of Sexuality, Five Shades of Play, and I am Taylor Sparks, your host and sex goddess for the evening. We are here for the purpose of educating, entertaining, and informing you in all areas of sexuality, sexual health, kink, relationships, and the business of sex. I am so utterly excited today for our guest, but before I bring her on, let me give you a little bit about her. Dr. Diane Marie Stewart is a professor of religion and African-American studies at Emory University, specializing in African heritage, religious cultures in the Caribbean and the Americas. She was born in Kingston, Jamaica and grew up in Hartford, Connecticut. She obtained her BA degree from Colgate University in English and African-American studies, her master's of divinity degree from Harvard Divinity School and her PhD degree in system, uh, systematic theology yeah, Systematic Theology from Union Theological Seminary in New York City, where she studied with well-known scholars such as Dolores Williams, James Washington, and her advisor, James Cohn. Dr. Stewart joined Emory's Faculty of Arts and Sciences in 2001 and teaches courses in the graduate and undergraduate program. Dr. Stewart's research has been supported by the Fulbright Scholar Program, the Abraham J. and Phyllis Katz Foundation, and other prestigious fellowships and institutions. She's the author of numerous scholarly articles and chapters, as well as three monographs, Three Eyes for the Journey, African Dimensions of the Jamaican Religious Experience, Oxford University Press 2005, Black Women, Black Love, America's War on African-American Marriage, Seal Press 2020, and Obia, Orissa and Religious Identity in Trinidad, Africana Nations and the Power of Black Sacred Imagination, Orissa Volume 2, Duke University Press, October 2022. She is also a founding co-editor with Drs. Jacob Olupona and Terrence Johnson of the Religious Cultures of African and African Disappointed People series at Duke University Press. Over her career at Emory, Dr. Stewart has won several awards, including the Emory Williams 
Distinguished Undergraduate Teaching Award, the Emory College of Arts and Sciences Distinguished Advising Award, and the Emory University Laney Graduates Eleanor Main Graduate Faculty Mentor Award. However, Dr. Stewart is most proud of her leadership of Emory's Mellon Mays Undergraduate Fellowship Program, an international initiative that aims to diversify the academy by helping students from underrepresented uh, racial ethnic groups to earn the PhD degree and secure faculty positions at tertiary institutions across the United States and South Africa. Woo! Dr. Diane Stewart, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for hosting me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Oh my gosh, listen, I am beyond excited that you could find the time because you you were busy. <laughs> well, they made me an interim chair of one of my two departments this year. So it's been like really like very hectic, but I'm but I'm thrilled to be here. Congratulations. Oh wow. Oh, well, 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 well. <laughs> the people who get it right say, oh, my condolences. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. It's, a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but it, it's a great department and it's, it's been, it's been very fulfilling. So, yeah. Well, this is good. And I would, before we started the show, I was, as I had read her bio beforehand, I went, oh my God, when did you start college in 10? When you were 10, you have been in college forever. Well, yeah, well, you know, I was one of those students that went straight on. I never took a break. So, and I went to college at 18. So I started teaching in my 20s. So I really, teaching as a professor, I really finished my degrees, you know, one after another, didn't take a break at all. So, yeah. Wow. Well, listen, I, I, I'm very proud of you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Honestly, because I'm like, oh, I thought about going back to school and I'm like, I just can't. <laughs> school was never, I must, yeah. and I think it's because of the undiagnosed ADHD. I'm, I'm going to use oh, that as my right. excuse. No, I, I understand. I don't really know if I but have that. Different. I'm just, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. your condolences. Yes, yes, yes. yes, so, yes. I wanted to bring you on because it was so important for me to, to have my audience know about your book. And I had discovered your book in research for my book, which is coming out in June, which is an African-American guide to ethical non-monogamy. And I was looking for something on African-American history and your book came up in my search. And I'm like, oh my God. I ha- So I have the audible version. I have listened to it twice. I've read through the Kindle version as well. And I, I just want people to know because I honestly believe that not only generations be- before me, I don't even think our generation, well, I think you're younger than I am. I think you're way younger. I think you're way younger than I am. I think... <laughs> I think so. I think so. And and I think that so many of us, we only have this snapshot of 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 African American marriage, um, the history, the love. And so once I found your book, I'm like, that's it. I, I have to really ask her, um, you know, first and foremost, you know, why did you even decide? to write this book? I mean, considering some of the other books that you've written, some of the other articles on theology and, you know, why this book? What gave you that it needs to be done? 
It's a great question because it came through my teaching. You know, I was trained to do religious and theological studies, particularly related to the African diaspora. But I had um, started a, a course. I had a, a new course called Black Love. And mm -hmm. in that course, we treat love in the African-American experience um, through many different registers, politics, mm. you know, a family mm. love, um, it, all kinds of issues. What does it mean? Black power, feminism, issues of masculinity and love. We do everything. And I have a small unit on love and romance. And when I taught it initially in 2004 and was doing research um, related to that unit, I was truly astonished by what I was seeing in the sociological literature, some, some more um, public magazines as well, like Ebony. Mm -hmm. um, I had kind of lived it, right? I knew it since my college days, the, sure. the, the serious discrepancy between Black women um, having the ability to, or the opportunities to date, fall in love and marry versus other women in America, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and even the low marriage rates among Blacks, but I didn't know how bad it was. I didn't. Right. And, and let me be clear. I'm saying bad for those who want to be married because I understand. Others, it might not matter, right? But for those who want to be, and there are millions of Black women who want to be and cannot and want to be married to Black men and cannot. Yes. That's yes. why I wrote the book. But but let me give the other part of the why. So that was the Please. motivation for writing it. It was, it was initially realizing that there are some dimensions to this dilemma or this crisis that I don't believe are being discussed in the public domain. So we have nowhere. By the time I retaught the book, I mean, the book, the class, um, 12 years had gone by for a number of reasons. I just didn't teach it for 12 years. And then during the height of Black activism, around the death of Trayvon Martin, I, you mm -hmm. know, we began seeing how exhausted the Black students at Emory were, how much they had given to struggle and activism, and they just needed that Black love course. You know, I was just like, it's time mm -hmm. for me to teach that course. And mm -hmm. the same thing. And at, by this time, people like Steve Harvey had come up with all kinds of formulas for Black women to follow, to be able to be right. more competitive on the marriage market, right? Or dating mm -hmm, market. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like even Tyler Perry has done some things. I felt like there were these sure. voices out there. There were people like Kevin Samuels or the late Kevin mm -hmm. Samuels, others who were giving Black women all this advice. And none of these structural and systemic issues that have been transgenerational, even if, even if the issues issues don't emerge in the same um, configuration each generation. They are coming up over and over. They're like epiphenomena. Those were never being discussed. And yes. so I realized that the sociological literature in terms of actual scholarship was mm -hmm. often um, being produced for other sociologists. I mean, it was hard mm -hmm. enough for me, a humanist, to even dig into yeah. some of that material, right? So it was yes. For other scholars. And so the ordinary citizen would not have access, wouldn't have the background to really read the, these materials and wouldn't even know where to find them. Um, and yes. at the same time, um, some historians had also begun to write about marriage during slavery or marriage. And I used those texts. They were very helpful. Mm -hmm. Marriage, you know, in the post-emancipation period, but no one had put it together in one volume, and one volume that the wider public could read. Yes, yes, it can be used in academic classrooms, but I truly wrote this book for especially a black female audience, particularly heterosexual yes. black women. Yes, but also for all of America, 
because I think all of America needs to care about this issue. Um, and so that's that's the motivation behind it. And, and it is a brilliant motivation because um, you referencing the other books and what I found most fascinating was the stories and the slave narratives. Mm. So we, if you're in college and you're studying African-American history, you're studying, you might've heard about the slave narratives down the Library of Congress in passing. But if you're studying um, computer science, <laughs> it's not going to come up. And if your mama is not studying African, you know, sociology and what's happening in African-American history, it's not even gonna come up around the dinner table. And some of the, some of the stories I found in your book, heart-wrenching. And, and when I say heart-wrenching, it's like, why are you not on the Breakfast Club, right? <laughs> why are you not sitting down with Oprah? Because oh. as you mentioned, we as a, as, a, as a regular society who's not studying about African-American history and we're going on day to day to day, yeah, we catch snippets here and there about what happened to us as slaves and what didn't happen to us slaves. But one thing your book gave me um, was the answer to um, behavioral epigenetics. So I've been studying about behavioral epigenetics mm -hmm. and I'm like, this is what generational trauma is. So starting from even jumping the broom, yes. tell us about the history of how, how we thought jumping the broom was somehow an African-American tradition. Yes. And, and, you know, this is a very sensitive issue. So I don't mm -hmm. know if you have happened to see, I did a more expanded treatment of the issue from chapter one in an mm -hmm. article that was published at Oprah Daily. I don't know if you saw that, but it's on my website. If you okay, want to I might have. You will find that interesting. So even when I wanted to do this, right, I was talking to a friend slash mentor, kind of well-known author, um, who mm. said, now don't take the broom from black women too. <laughs> the broom from black women, and she, you know, she gave me the perfect um, uh, solution. She says, "How about jumping the broom and other ways to tie the knot?" Right? And even, but still, Oprah Daily um, took they 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 actually, you know, they always change your title, but somehow other ways to tie the knot found its way into a subheading. So that was mm -hmm. great. But, okay. but it, you know, this is something that I had a personal, you'll you'll learn about it in that article, if you mm -hmm. a, a personal interest in um, from a young age during my college days, I always suspected that this was not an African tradition. Now, I mean, mm -hmm. we don't know everything. Maybe it's going to show up in some small, you know, village in Africa. I but I always suspected that it wasn't. And when I studied abroad in Nigeria as an undergrad, as a junior, a college junior, I was asking about it. I was trying to investigate marriage customs everywhere. You know, Nigeria has is one of the, it is the largest, the most populated sure. African nation sure, sure. country in the world. And so I was trying to understand and learn about the different marriage. It just never came up anywhere. Never wow. came up anywhere. And wow. so eventually I landed upon some um, articles, you know, by folklorists um, who mm -hmm. made it very, very clear that jumping the broom is a long tradition um, among um, Europeans, particularly from the British Isles, Wales, people from Wales. It was also known mm -hmm. among Roma communities, which who have often been called gypsy, which is sure, sure. not the politically correct term, of they call Roma, Roma communities in, in, in Europe. But there's another aspect to my story in terms of discovering it. 
I had brought this up to my students at my first job at McAllister College that we they had read something where jumping the broom was in, it was part of the reading. And they oh. asked me about it. And I said, to be honest, I have never thought um, that this tradition is African. I don't know for sure. This was before I found these articles. I don't sure, know. Sure. One of my students at Dr. Stewart, I totally agree with you. She was Jewish or, or Polish heritage. She said, yeah. I totally agree with you because we have a broom in my family and every couple that we jump it and every couple that gets married, we tie a ribbon around it and it gets handed down. The broom oh. that we have is now seven generations in my family. Oh, and wow. Her mom brought the broom. Her mom had come to vi visit her. And she asked her mom to bring the broom. It was, it was really powerful. So this is a strong European tradition. And even when the Catholic church was becoming deeply established in different, you know, villages in Wales and in, in England and those areas. Um, you know, they were actually trying to get people to stop doing this and to register their marriages. So it's, isn't that interesting? Yes. So it's very clear that people from Wales settled in the South extensively and in the United States in general at, during the 19th century. And so yeah, it yeah, was yeah. very clear that they brought this tradition with them and oftentimes you know forced african descendants to jump it sometimes african right. descendants chose to incorporate it themselves sure sure sometimes sure, sure. they didn't they didn't have any brooms in their wedding ceremonies right 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 if they even if they even were even allowed to have one because one of the things That's you right. make point of in the book is that even if we were allowed to have some kind of union in front of the fireplace or the tree or something that was not legally a marriage anyway it was still in the vows that we would stay married, um, not only until death do us part, but until the until the will of our slave master ended that, or until you until distance do us part, because they had what's called the abroad marriages, where your your partner could get loaned out at any time to a plantation hundreds of miles away or two miles away, and you only get to see each other once a month or once a week or. If, if that, so one of the things that um, also in the, in the, in that first chapter about the slavery that really, you know, I went, okay, let me say this. When I, when I think about epigenetics and how things are, our behaviors and our environments are passed through us genetically, and we know what we all went through slavery, but one of the points you make was that it was, slavery was much harder for women than it was for the, it was hard for every fucking body, right? But it was much harder for women than it was for men. And you say that because? Well, it's really interesting. I say it through the words of Harriet Jacobs who wrote okay. her biography. And she, it's so powerful the way she says it, whether the slave girl, and that's why so many times in this book, I use the term females, which is less mm -hmm. appreciated now because, sure. um, you know, we don't want to reduce, you know, sure, persons sure. to animals, male and female, you know, just it's right. really do personalizing. So, but I do that because I'm not always talking about women. I'm sometimes talking about adolescent girls. Or maybe yes. even younger girls who are being abused and raped yes. and violated. So she yes. says, no matter how fair she is or how ebony black she is, she basically will experience this kind of violation. It's almost yes. impossible to avoid it. 
And yes. so it, it's, you know, there was that reality as um, the amazing, brilliant scholar, Alexis Wells Ogogome argues, there was that reality of the black woman's womb as a capital asset. If mm -hmm. anybody should be the default being, when we think of slavery, we should think of a black woman because it's only yeah. her womb that this institution continued. Right, yeah. because no no matter whether that, like you said, no matter, the ch not only was she raped yeah. and abused by this man, then she had to bore his child. That's right, that's right. right? And then her child was enslaved. Yes, <laughs> enslaved because, the, right, um, part of the secretary venture, the, 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 yeah. the child follows the belly, the child follows yeah. the womb. Um, yeah. I mean, all the more understanding the capitalist foundation of this enterprise that, mm -hmm. Uh, slaveholders and other white authorities who would impregnate black women would enslave their own children. It's yes. just unbelievable yes. when you think about it, right? And it's it's not only unbelievable, but I'm wondering, I'm like, so maybe, and tell me if I'm stretching here, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I'm like, this could be why black women are so are less likely to date at least white American men. Because if you follow the generational trauma through seven some odd generations, and I'm fourth generation from slavery, my great grandfather was born into slavery, right? And there are eight generations that are descended from my great grandfather. If we follow that genetic marker of trauma, mm -hmm. then even though slavery was hundreds of years ago, whatever, traumatically, my genes remember the trauma of my great great or great, 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 and great went through, and it doesn't feel good to me. So although our men were beaten and castrated and hands were cut off, and, you know, and some of them, you know, if they, if they were enslaved for the, you know, maybe they, maybe they died, um, we still had to bear the brunt of the abuse, the birth, the trauma, and praying to God we didn't have daughters who would also bear the brunt of the, because it, because it bear the brunt of that abuse. And I'm like, I'm wondering is, is it because of this genetic trauma that has passed through us is why some of us are, because the men, they were beat up, yeah. But if they lived, they lived, but now they're like dating white women and having a good time. And, and we're like, yeah, something about that just don't feel right. Do you mm -hmm. think? You, you know, know, do you think that's a possibility that ge that genetic trauma has come through us? Why some of us oh, don't? I definitely think so. I definitely, you know, and it's important to also remember that fewer women were able to even abscond. Now, keep in mind, running away or taking one's liberty into one's own hands, taking yeah. one's freedom into one's own hands and removing oneself from a condition of bondage was a very, it was almost a suicidal attempt. Sure. It, it was very difficult to be successful in running away, but fewer women even felt that they had that option because of their children. It even curtailed, you know, the options that women felt that they had for themselves in, re in responding to this condition of bondage. But I think you raise a, a powerful question and I don't think I would ever do it, but I wish somebody would do more research on this. Um, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if you ever read the book um, "Is Marriage for White People." Um, I, mm -mm, I, but I've seen it when I was looking for my research. And it's written yeah. by a black man, a, you know, a brilliant um, law professor, um, um, who 
ultimately argues that if more Black women married outside of the race, more Black women would actually marry Black women because one Black man would feel like, oh, we, I guess we don't have it like this anymore, right? Mm. Like, it would almost, it, it's interesting. He basically says Black women are too loyal to Black men who are not loyal to them in the same way. Right. But, but my immediate response, that honestly, that book propelled me to write. At first I thought I would mm. do like an essay or maybe a series of articles. Sure. That book also propelled me to write because I, I felt like we need a Black woman's perspective. Um, yes. I felt like I, I hear you, I hear your idea, but I wonder how many Black women cannot stand the, the, the idea of the, I, the thought. intimate with a white yes. man because of that history. Right. You know, and and yeah. speaking about, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm so sorry. Um, speaking no. about the not being able to run away. Um, I did a book years ago called, uh, <laughs> I did a book years ago. Anyway, but in that book, I used some research from Dr. Professor Shelley Taylor out of UCLA. Mm -hmm. She was the one of the first professors to do stress research on winding on, on women. And she has a book called the, the Tending Instinct. So under stress, you know, most humans, all the research is done on men, we fight or flight. But women, because we had children in tow, we tended and befriended. So when you have war and whoever wins, they get the, they get the land and the women. And so women who wanted to live were like, wait a minute now, hold on. You don't need to kill me and my children. Let me make you a sandwich. Come on in here now. <laughs> no, no, no. We tend and be friends. So even though there were so many women that were raped and 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 slavery black women, I know I don't know the percentage. I can I am led to believe there was a small percentage that were like, Master, come on in here. You ain't too bad. Yes. Because if I you know if I have this relationship with you and I make good with you, and you treat me right, my children gonna get some extra better food, I'm gonna get a nicer place to live, I'm gonna get some extra cloth to make some clothing. So everybody right. was not traumatized. So I think, going back to the epigenetics, those that lineage of Black women might be like, oops, it's over. No, white men are just so, totally fine. And the perfect example of that, I, I think that was shown was in 12 Years a Slave. Lupita Nyong'o's character, yes. who was brutalized and beat by that mm -hmm. white man who loved her, yes. but he couldn't fathom loving this animal. So he abused her. But remember Alfre Woodard's character. Mm -hmm. Remember, she was sitting there having tea. She slaves. She didn't have to work. That white man loved her. She slept in the bed with him. So if they both had bore children, how would Lupita Nyong'o's right. story to her and emotions and behavior, how would she tell her children what they needed to do to survive slavery? And how would Alfred Woodford, Woodford's character tell her children how they needed to survive slavery? So I mean, we know- Getting into the nuances of the, um, in many respects, um, unwanted intimacies or undesired intimacies versus the intimacies of necessity it you know yes it, it is a situation that is contingent upon blacks being governed by the laws of property upon yeah. 
you know, the slave economy relying on Black people's humanity, yet denying it or negating it as often as possible. It is, I mean, it is a, 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 a torturous situation. So I mm-hmm. agree. There's no doubt about it. And there are scholars who have written about, about this, that Black women negotiated and navigated a host of different kinds of relationships with white men during yes. slavery. But yeah. in no way, shape, or form should we... Um, not assume that even those who did might not have a, a experienced violent, oh, oh for sure, um, even earlier in their lives. Earlier. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and and, and and she learned to negotiate. That's right. For the for her own sake, maybe the sake of her family, maybe even for the sake. And this is another thing you bring up. Maybe even for the sake of love for her own man. Yes, because she had a black man that she loved and she wanted. And if she's like, if I give this. Mm, a little piece of something, something. He ain't going to last for five minutes any damn way. I'm going to give him a little something, something. And he going to leave you the fuck alone so yeah. that you and I can still be together. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? And it's like, do we not, yeah. you know, do people not think of the sacrifices that women have made? And you bring up many of these points of what Black women did for the sake of Black love. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, you know, Celia's story in Missouri is a case in point. Um, 1850s, she has been ra- she was raped. The 61-year-old white man is purchasing a 14-year-old child, and he rapes her on the way back. Mm-hmm. I think it was a three-hour drive or three-day drive. Yes. He rapes her on the way back to his farm. Mm. And so, and she's lived this life of just constant rape, constant rape. And there's someone that she loves on the plantation has yes. relationships with. And she decides, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I've already born children for you. I, I'm killing you. <laughs> like yeah. you're, you're going to die. Yeah. She yeah. actually, she actually went to the family members to try to get protection from them. They ignored her, please. Yeah. I mean, this is a child, and this is why I cannot just say Black women. It's happening to Black children as well. Yes. Even people grew up earlier, quicker than we do now, right? People got married quicker and all of that. Still 14. 14 is 14. Incredibly young. Yes, 14 so, is 14. That's exactly right. And, mm-hmm. you know, taking the chance to run away. And once you run away, being a fugitive, especially after the passing of the different fugitive slave acts in the 1850s, yes. um, I mean, your life was totally precarious. Yeah. You had no, you didn't know if somebody was going to find you. You couldn't Can't read. You, could know. Exactly. you had no money. You had no food. It is you didn't so, know which way to go. Not that someone taught you to start. Right. Ona Judge, the, the, you know, the woman who was owned by Martha Washington and George Washington went through every, every channel to get her back, including even illegally dispatching resources, military resources of, of, of the United States. She, she was the one that went overseas eventually? No, no, she didn't go overseas. She, yeah, she went north to try okay. to hunt her down. And so, I mean, when you think about the incredible bravery of some yeah. of these women, the courage um, under those kinds of circumstances, for love, for freedom, because Ona, she couldn't even think of her freedom. Her life is a good example of, don't think that Black women who were working in the house had it better than Black women in the fields. I mean, right. in no. ways, under the close inspection of mm. white mistresses and masters, it was it was terrible for these women. Yeah. 
you make, couldn't escape the, you couldn't escape the gaze is one of the things you said in the book you couldn't you could not escape the gaze of the white man or the white penis Indeed. it was everywhere and and the fact that you also mentioned how black love only seemed or that white love could not exist unless black love was destroyed Oh, yes. In chapter two. Yes. I had to, you know, it was this particular instance of the lynching of Black people and, and the particular instance about the Morris Ford Bridge, where I I began to, as I as I looked at, um, I'm, I'm kind of pulling it up, as I looked at, um, uh, testimonies about what was what happened and reports of, on what happened. I mm -hmm. began to say to myself, wait a minute, something is going on here. There was a newspaper article of a, a Navy veteran who had um, gone back to the site to and retrieved a tooth. Yes. A tooth. And gave it to this, his girlfriend. Gave it to his girlfriend. So this is a site where a black woman, a two black women and their husbands were killed. And it yes. was really that the, the mob had come for the black men, but the black women tried to, you know, um, Keep protect them. their husband. Yeah. And they said, well, we're just going to lynch you too. Yeah. Because what two of them were, were siblings, right? One of the two brothers. Of them were siblings. They were siblings, were siblings, yeah. And he, and he goes and gets a tooth and gives it to her and she puts it on a charm bracelet. So I'm saying black bodily material Yes. It's now the, the 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 religious element, the kind mm. of sacred, um, the kind of sacred charm for a blessed white life, for yeah. a, a, a white life of happiness and peace and togetherness. I mean, what is was that? a black bodily part? Yes, and and no, yes. they did this. What some of them did the same with the male with the with the black man's penis because yeah. it. I remember um, the 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 lynching museum was it in is it Alabama? Yes, Alabama. Mm -hmm. Alabama. When I saw it, when it first opened, I, I haven't been there, but I saw the interview and he was saying it wasn't enough to just lynch us. Yes. We had to be, we had to be lynched, shot, tarred and feathered, drugged through the street, dismembered. It was an overkill. It was an overkill. And, and I hate to go back to it, but I'm going to go back to it. That brings me back to, back to the epigenetics, right? If we as Black people have passed along our trauma genetically through our genes to our many generations, does it not ring true that that level of evil that white people had for black people during that time, was that not also passed through genetically to their offspring? Because wow. when you look at whatever that asshole's name was that killed George, George Floyd. Oh my goodness. When you look at his face, there is no regret. There is no remorse. There is nothing there but pure evil. That is generational to me. Not just you sat down and heard your father talk about how we didn't like niggas, but your great-great-grandfather didn't like niggas. And that evil, traumatic shit, I believe, was passed down Genetically, which is why I believe, of course, I, I'm not the scholar, <laughs> but, you know, just based on if we're gen generationally trauma, then they have to be, they must have that generational evil, not 
everybody. And the one thing about epigenetics, you can turn it around. You could stop it at any time. And there have been, I talked to a, uh, a business associate the other day and he lives in Mississippi. I'm like, well, I'm not coming there. He goes, he said, oh no. He said, I was so glad when my goddamn racist granddaddy died. He said, he said, that shit stopped to that shit stopped with me. Oh, wow. He said, it stopped with fucking me. Wow. So we, you, we have the ability to change the thought pattern, to change what's in our mind. We can do better and do differently. People just choose fucking not. <laughs> you know, I, what I think too, it's interesting, the way racism has been constructed, the, the architecture of it, it, it has this air of genetics it has you know we're genetically white and therefore genetically superior right that that's kind of the but that's their thought exactly exactly yeah. right yeah. that's the thought but it's really quote-unquote magical thinking it's a concept right? <laughs> thing as genetic whiteness there is no such thing we have oh. instead pigmentation with a meaning yes and, and, and for what reason? Like, what is the reason? And yes. that reason has to do with the building of empire. And you, yes. you only build empire and keep it as such, right, on the backs of other people. Yes. And the way to keep your supremacy in the building of empire is to psychologically disarm those other people. And racism did that. It, it, it stratified human, human beings based on... Uh, imposing meaning upon pigmentation. Mm -hmm. which is, it's an imposition. It's we an yes. think nothing about our pigmentation, but that's <laughs> not where we are. That's not no. where we are today. So there, there was another thing that um, when the men were removed from the house in slavery, right? When our men were removed, whether they were killed or were, we had abroad marriages, the difference, and if you could tell me the word, because I can't remember, there's a difference between a woman-led family and a mother-led family. Yeah, I mean, it's called. I hate to say it, but some people would say single, single, um, um, headed household, um, or, or maybe they would say woman-headed household and matrifocal or matricentric matri household, mm -hmm. right? Which is different than like a mother-led family is different than than just a woman-led family. Oh, usually yeah. the woman who's leaving the family, though, is the mother, you know, is I, the mother. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't really know of situations, even if she's not the the, um, you know, the uh, biological mother, she mm -hmm. is some sort of mother in yes. that family, right? Yes, yes. Not biological, it's cultural, it's social, it's yeah. Yeah, it seems that folks have turned it around to make this a horrible thing when when women had no choice but to be strong for, for the family that was left be, because the man had to be, he was removed. It wasn't like, and not only was he removed during slavery as we move forward through your book, he, even when they went to civil war and then they were killed and now we have all these women and children who are left roaming the streets trying to survive, they go to apply for pensions and they are denied a way to support themselves. Yes. yes and some of them are forced back to the plantation to find a way to support themselves. So now their men, some ran away for the war, you know, but I, it seems like in today's conversation amongst these people who are <laughs> coaching and shit, mm -hmm. and I'm one of those coaching shit people, but... <laughs> They, it seems like people are just 
stuck on black women and your masculine energy and you're being too goddamn strong and you're too damn strong. And it's, and it's like, but your book has proven that we've had no choice but to be strong. One, we got these damn, damn children and my, and my mother living with me and my cousin had moved out because her man didn't die. But I have no other choice because, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, black women are no threat to white men. So white men are like, oh, come on in here, black girl, go on to college, here's some money. You black ass man, stay the fuck away. <laughs> so they keep the men, they have done everything to keep the men from us because we're, we're not considered a threat. That's my thought. Which well, I, I think there's a lot of truth in all of that because I think black, particularly black heterosexual masculinity um, has always been threatening to white male, mm -hmm. empire, white male part patriarchy. Um, and particularly because the, the, the subconscious belief, the constant underbelly of, of their consciousness around um, a plural society where Blacks and whites would live together is that Black men will be sleeping with white women. Yeah. That, so that's why they're very, very um, um, anxious and nervous about Black heterosexual masculinity. So mm. yes, across the decades, since slavery, the system has has definitely dealt with black men in such a way that has reduced them in, in numbers by incarcerating them, um, yes. by you know situating them along paths where they might die early, yes. um, all kinds of things. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I but I but I will say that there's some other dimension to this that I want to get at. And this is the only reason I'm going to write a Black Love 2 book. I, oh, I, yes. said, this is it. I just want to write this book for my people yes. know, and, and other people. Um, yes. And then I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm back to my, I'm actually finishing up another academic book. Um, oh, yay. Maybe by the end of 2024. That would be the okay. goal. Um, but I, I need to write another one because I want my audiences to not miss this. And I know out of everything I say, um, Taylor, out of everything I say, this is the most controversial for Black people. I've been in a few clubhouse rooms mm -hmm. talking about this based on the conversation that they've been having. And I know in this book, it is this point that will be resisted. Okay. We have bought the Euro-Western Anglo-American idealization of the patriarchal nuclear family, um, patriarchal marriage and patriarchal nuclear family for me. Yes. We have yes. bought that hook, line, and sinker. It so is bullshit. For me, we have to take the analysis a step behind even where you are now. What's wrong with a Black woman being strong? What is wrong with that? That's not all we are. We're not always strong every moment of our lives. Nope. But who told you something was wrong with that? Yes. Who, who is defining your, your the psychology of your desire? Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing that we miss. This system, part of what I'm documenting here in terms of systemic and structural factors that undo Black love or opportunities for Black love in this country historically is also this, because after slavery, it was very important. This was intentional on the yes. part of the US government. It was very important to re-socialize African descendants mm -hmm. into a marriage system that they understood to be proper, Yep. Revealed, biblically revealed in the Bible, yep. which is not true, by the way, but yes. you know, I'll get to that. In, in yes. book two. Biblically revealed by the Bible um, and um, patriarchal, 
heteropatriarchal. There is no doubt about it. That is a structure. And in that structure, men, women take men's last names, never did that in Africa. The pi private domain is the, uh, the domain of the woman, never was the case in Africa. Nope. Um, the public domain is a domain of the man, never was the case in Africa. There nope. was no such thing as assigning bodies to spaces in that mm. way in African yeah. context. This is very much a Western thing. Yeah. And even the overemphasis of gender and gender differences is very Western. And the reason it is, is because of the way women were viewed as property in, yes. in Western lineage, that yeah. women are the property and men inherit the property. And there's a clear division. So what they were, what they rewarded Black men for, Black families for, was a male-headed household Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to remind you, I don't know if you remember this part, but I want you to remember it. A male-headed household, patriarchal male-headed household, where mm -hmm. the man controlled the labor of the household, whether the woman was going to work. And if she did, where she worked, he controlled the money she earned yep. and money or labor labor that the children would, 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 uh, would earn as well. Mm -hmm. All contracts coming through the household. So here is something that a lot of people miss. After slavery, most Blacks in the South were involved in tenant farm farming. Yeah. The Free Bits Bureau would not, would not, do you hear me? There were very few cases that got mm -hmm. through. Not give Black women contracts for labor as tenant farmers if they were not married. Because yeah. they wanted to be sure that that Euro-patriarchal or marital arrangement was going to be established in Black communities. Yeah. And that's what happened. So we have this idea. We heads, acquiesce heads, to it. Heads we just were like, okay. Heads, exactly. Heads of household, not African. Nope. Because household arrangements were so complex. And yes. there would usually be many different kinds of home arrangements within a, a given compound. There were yes. usually people who were not even members of the family living in a given compound. Mm -hmm. There were all kinds of domiciles within a There's no head of household. So right. we have totally bought into that. We have bought into a, an idea of patriarchal marriage in a country mm -hmm. that has never truly allowed Black men to be patriarchs. No. And I believe that these ideologies ultimately undermine um, our the frequency with which we marry and are able to marry. Yes, because yes. If, if black men don't have earn a certain amount of money more than I do, right? Yeah. For women who internalize this yes. of, of being married, um, cannot fully take care of me or take care of me principally, be yeah. my head, cover me, be my leader. Right. Whatever, all <laughs> be of my, be my, every, my, and yeah. then there's an interview we just I watched that. yesterday with Ayanla and the, the, the Ayanla Ranzan and the, a woman from the griot and mm -hmm. and she was and ayanla said could you I date a bus that. driver and she was like no I saw that. I saw and that. she was like yeah. i could yeah i'm and looking for kind and you know did. and respectful why not you it's not like you need his money right, right. first of all right. <laughs> but why can't you build together that's interesting why can't you build mm -hmm. together yeah yeah you know well if he owned the bus no i'm talking about a man to go to work every day who ain't gonna beat you over the fucking head. Right, right, You know right. what I mean? Right. You're looking, because, you know, some of the wealthiest men, no matter the color, are, are some of the worst, have some of the worst personalities oh, and treat their women, if, yes, let alone not, 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 you know, kill them. But 
You know, it's not the money that makes a man a wonderful man. That's right. We we have these criteria. And I say to people all the time, I don't, I can't imagine that my father made over $50,000 by the time he retired. He was a machine operator. Mm-hmm. My, my, my father is not a high status man. Mm-hmm. As I said before, high man, value. <laughs> a high valued man, a man who never lied to me a day in my life, mm-hmm. a man whom I always knew where he was. Yeah. If he, my father said, I'm going to get a haircut, he was back in 45 minutes and his yeah. hair was cut. Yeah. I mean, my father is not a high valued man. Sure. A man who, who adored my mother, my father is not a high valued yeah. man. I don't think so. Right. So, so I, I want right. to. Would like, I mean, it's fun to focus on the, you know, what are your criteria and and the 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 fun things and the romantic things and oh, he's gorgeous and she's gorgeous. Yes, it's fun yes. to do that. It's fun to do that. No, but when of we course. Really and who don't about, want gorgeous? That's right. <laughs> when we really think about settled relationships that are sustaining, mm-hmm. that are inspiring, that are motivating, we're looking at deep gorgeousness inside. We're looking at other issues. Yes. We don't have enough conversation about that. Yes. So I, I couldn't agree with no. you. It's what is the quality yeah. of the person that you want? And just figuring out if you even get along, if you even like each other. If we say you have, so are you in alignment? That's right. Are you in alignment? <laughs> if we focus so much on the criteria, I'm not saying people shouldn't have criteria. I'm not saying a woman who makes yeah. up you know, $300,000 should want to marry a man who drives a bus. I'm not even saying that. But what I would argue is that if we focus only on the criteria or does he check this box and and keep looking at the next part, we're missing other things. Yeah. We're missing other things. You're missing so much because as I've said a lot of times, even, you know, my book is going to be, is uh, is an African-American guide to ethical non-monogamy. So I cover the difference the different type of love styles under ethical non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when we talk about the patriarchy and what we were forced into this Western way of living, knowing that polyamory, polyandry even, um, polygamy all existed in, in so many parts of the, not just Africa, yeah, in sure. many parts Absolutely. of the world. Sure. Mm-hmm. If we, and I heard someone raise this question recently, it was like, if you were raised with the choice to be non-monogamous or monogamous, would you have chosen monogamy? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because we were raised in, 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 the, in the American society as monogamy is the only way. And as your book points yeah. out, that's what's forced upon us. Yeah. We had yeah, no other choice. And, the, and when the husbands did have more than one wives, the freemen made them choose after the civil yes. war, you have to get married, choose the one with the most babies. Exactly. So now you've got these women out here who are, by exactly. society's uh, standards, shamed because you don't have a husband, That's right. but you got these babies. That's but right. it was like, we were just on the plantation. We were all living together. Everything was fine. Exactly. Well, you can't do that, that no more. So true. That is so true. And 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 I think another aspect of that, when people people will ask me all the time, well, do you think polygamy is an answer to it? I'm, you know, I say, look, in this American context, I am not necessarily going to to forward that as an answer, right? But polygamy, and they'll say, well, we do it anyway. No, we're not doing it. Polygamy is a marriage system. It is a marriage system. And one of the things we have to remember prior to, you know, these kind of mid 19th century um, constructions of romantic love, which I am not totally disagreeing with. 
I like mm-hmm. it. I like romantic love. That's yes. what it is. I focus on it in the book. Yes. I'm not agreeing with it, but it can be problematic. We have to know how to keep it in check too. There's something about those older traditional approaches to marriage mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. that's instructive for us as well. Um, I think we need a mixture of both in a way. And those, um, in many cases, those polygamous um, marriages were not based on romance. It doesn't mean that no. romance didn't develop in those marriages. I'm right. sure they did, but they didn't start out that way. They were, it wasn't no. based on that, right? Mm-mm. And so Mm-mm. even, we're not even oriented to that in the West. Yes. <laughs> right, know? right. And it's, it's even, like, yeah. it was a contract. I have a daughter, hundred yes. acres of land and, 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 and 200 cows. You got a son, a hundred acres right. of land and 200 sheep, if we get together, we're right. gonna own some shit around here. Exactly. And what we, but the romantic our, era came yes. around, when did, yes. the, when did the 16, when did the romantic era, when, whenever the romantic era came around, so, then that notion of love and yes, my one yes. true love Romance. and all that bullshit from the movies which you complete me. It's like, listen, could you take the trash out and pick up them kids on the way home? Cause then <laughs> if you do that, I'm gonna love you long time. Okay. I mean, some people have asked me, well, what about black women who don't want to be married? I'm like, great. Wonderful. I've met a few of them. That is great. But but what if those women decide in the next decade of their lives that they do want to be married? People feel the same way about marriage throughout their lifestyle. No. Right? Some people might change. Can they at least have somebody decent to date? You know? I mean... mean I, I'm not promoting marriage just to do it. No, do hell no. It's too hard. It's very hard. But I do <laughs> think that there's some serious benefits to it when it works, when it's great. It um, you know, but it's just the fact that millions of Black women can't marry and can't marry Black men in particular. Mm-hmm. I began to see that. And this is what's, I think, the unique argument of the book as a yes. marriage unrecognized civil rights issue. Yes. Marriage of civil rights. It took the Civil Rights Act of 1866 to fully guarantee Black people the right to marry in this country. Yeah. Or, or, or the enslaved. Let's say the, yeah. the oh, yes, Black yes, yes. have yeah. been enslaved. It wasn't oh, just right. this thing we got. We just decided to do. We had That's to have right. a law That's to right. be passed to, uh, to allow. And mm-hmm. I... You know, I said to my friend recently, I was like, you know, I've dated a couple of white guys in my day and I, the ones from the States, I just, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just the energy thing, you yeah. know? And I'm like, oh, you were raised in Europe. No, we, we can talk because <laughs> I know your mindset's a little different right, right, and right. I'm not this notch on your belt or, you know, I'm not into being fetishized and right. I, I'm in the kink community too. And it's okay. Nothing wrong with being fetishized. I don't <laughs> I'm not knocking, I'm not yucking on anybody's yum. It's just not my thing. But I have found that when I wanted to get married, and first, I never thought I would ever get married. Then when I wanted to get married, all I ever wanted was a black man, which I married. And all I ever wanted was black babies. I just wanted black babies. And, and my marriage is 25 years. Yes. And then we kind of decided we were going to go our separate ways. And it, I don't feel like it was a failure whatsoever. Right, it was, right. it was, it was a really good marriage mm. and we just didn't want the same thing after a while. Right. And so, but I did not allow my son to date mm. white girls in high school. Wow. And wow. People, you can't tell that boy, why the fuck I can't, he live in this house. You cannot date. When you go to college, I want you to date everybody. Yeah. But in your formative years, years when you're just learning about yourself, 
and your sexuality. You need to learn how to be able to talk and get along with black women. That was my and my husband's opinion. Interesting. That's interesting. And he tried to come over with Becky. I'm like, you know, I'm trying to tell you what I'm like, don't make me embarrass you. Right. You would you would break up with that girl and be done. Now, when you go to college, date everybody because now, and also it was right after that time that boy had been put in jail for statutory Mm -hmm. rape. He was exactly. one year older, that girl exactly. down there in Georgia. I talked about it in the intro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, he was adopted by that white family who had the money to get his ass out of jail. I said, we were in North Carolina. They will, I said, the grandparents and their racist ass, they will put you under the jail. And we don't know the Obamas, the Jacksons, no fucking body. You leave these white girls alone. When everybody's over 18, mm-hmm. you have better chance. So, but he went on, he dated everybody, but he settled on a black woman, he married a black woman and they have a black babies, you know? Hey, and it's like, I want black grandbabies. I want did black you, babies. Did you, did you see, do you remember the line in chapter five about Mary Jane? <laughs> about, oh, well, remember, about, like, <laughs> tell I me. Black, I want black love, remember? I want black love. Yes, and then, she says to the, you know, you know that scene in being Mary Jane where they have her date white, a white man. It goes on for like two episodes. And yeah, she yeah, gets yeah. to the point where she says, I want black love. Because you know? there's nothing yeah. better. And yeah. I've dated, yeah. like yeah. I said, I've dated men. I mean, I also love, I love Latino men are my next thing on my rung. I love Latino men, but I love men of color is really yeah. what it is, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Because we have this similar... I feel like we have right. some things in common right. as a man in, right. in color. And I, I don't Africa know. It's such a powerful element in Latin American oh, experience yeah. or Latin, yes. Latin, Latino experience. I mean, some are black themselves, right? But they are. Even for those who are not black, it's such a, 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 a kind of fundamental element of the cultural milieu yes. in yes. those places. That, yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you know, I'm living in, I'm in living in Cancun now. I'm, I'm, oh, are I'm, you? Yeah, I'm, I'm living in Cancun, working nice. from Cancun. I did study abroad in Mexico, so I spent oh, did a bit you? of time there. Yeah, one of them, it's just a beautiful I love it. And so there's a gentleman caller here, and we go out by the pool, yeah. and the, the white people out there, I said, they're going to they're gonna leave as soon as we get here, the Mexican <laughs> and the black girl. <laughs> and do they, do they actually leave? Do it all the time. It's oh so funny. Goodness. It's the, it's like the mass exodus. Like, good, we got the place to ourselves. But oh, my goodness. <laughs> Maybe it's just timing. Mm, still today, still today. Unbelievable. Sure, please, I don't care. I'm in Mexico. And this is, if you've lived in Mexico, you know this is one place where American white privilege has actually little to no power. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It, it's, yeah. it was a lovely experience. I was it's in amazing. Morello. I was in Morelos. I lived in Chipotle. Uh for the yeah for most of my time there but I traveled the country I went from Guaymas and Guadalajara all the way down to yes. Chiapas so I really traveled Mexico oh, wow. I didn't go over to Cancun but I did I did really yeah. travel mm-hmm. yeah 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 I lived when I was 25 I moved to Puerto Vallarta oh wow <laughs> look at that yeah and I was there like for some like for a season I was working wow. in timeshare at the time and then back and wow. and then when I decided to come here last year everybody's like well you've been talking about Mexico for the last 20 some years so I guess this but and I'm looking there at are Spain for Mexicans there are Mexicans they're here that's there right. are more Africans were literally um or literally disembarked in Mexico than in the United States. It's yeah. just that we, you know, in the United States, the black population increased by um by birth, by birth rate. You yeah. know, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's was sustained that, you know, with a um a larger population because black women actually produced. And so 
children. And so that's why, but actually the numbers of Africans who ended up mm. in Mexico relative to the United States, more. So yeah. we forget about that. There's Afro-Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a girlfriend of mine who, uh, she does a lot of talking on TikTok about it. And she's been banned from TikTok because she's talking about the African disaphoria here. Oh, and yeah. people don't want to talk about it. And she's like, no, I'm going to tell, I'm telling you that we are here, we've been here, there's statues of us here down in Tulum that's been uncovered. That, that's not the face of a, of a Mayan. That's an, look at that nose, look at that mouth. So, and it's been here, but there's more and more to talk about it. Mm. Professor, Dr. Diane Stewart. Yes. <laughs> Professor, doctor. <laughs> I am like, this has been the, the highlight of my, almost my entire life having you on. I am so grateful for your book in so many ways. And I think everyone, you must, I don't care if, if you are studying AI right now, if you are a person of color in any country in the world, <laughs> this book, Black Women, Black Love is a book that is a must read, a must listen to because it will give you new insight on Black love and relationships where we've come from. Because if you don't know where you've come from, if you don't know the plight of your people, even if you are dating outside of your race, this is still some information that needs to be, that people need to know, in, in, in my humble opinion. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It's been really a pleasure to talk with you. It's been so good. So I'm going to tell you all to stay up to date with Professor Dr. Diane Stewart. You can visit her website and I'm going to have all the links in the show notes at uh, dianestewart.com. That's dying with two M's. Her Instagram is Diane Stewart, uh, PhD. Her Twitter is Diane Stewart and her LinkedIn is Diane hash M hash Stewart. And to stay up to date with Sisters of Sexuality, of course, you can visit our website and all social media at Sisters of Sexuality. And of course, visit our sister site for all of your organic, intimate body products and books, organic loving. And if you liked and loved this episode, please leave us a review, like, share, and subscribe. And for the rest of you all, stay sexy. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.